1: Well, it is wonderful to be with you this morning, City on a Hill. Uh, If you are new or visiting, my name is Guy. Joy and privilege, as always, to serve as the pastor of this church, a church committed to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. A special g'day to people who are joining us online and... A special shout out to our brothers and sisters joining us at City on a Hill, Wollongong, who are joining live via broadcast. Joel, the team, doing an amazing job. Why don't we put our hands together here in Melbourne and thank the Lord for the goodness of His grace that unites us all. Well, we are in week three of our series, Left and Right, Jesus in a Political Age. Uh, Last week, Uh, We looked at the topic of transgender rights. Uh, It was actually the biggest Sunday we've had since uh, lockdown. So great to see people coming together, gathering uh, as we consider these ideas and issues which are shaping our world. Today, we are looking at the very important topic of race relations. And, and I must confess to you that when I saw that this was one of the most voted on issues uh, that we were to talk about, my mind immediately uh, ran to images of George Floyd and the Black Lives Movement. Uh, I actually spent some time in the U.S. this year as part of my d with a cohort of other Christian leaders looking at contemporary issues in the church. And uh, we had some fantastic contribution from uh, African-American leaders uh, talking with us about the racial divide in the U.S., Uh, And yet the more I thought about today's topic, the more I felt God's Spirit leading me closer to home. Uh, That while the topic of race relations is most definitely a global question, and certainly a massive tension in the US right now, we here in Australia have our own story to tell. Um, And so in the lead up to today... I reached, up, I reached out to a mutual friend of mine, uh, to, to, to Brooke Prentice, uh, an Aboriginal Christian leader who I had not yet uh, met, or at least I don't think we've uh, met previously, but I heard so many wonderful things about. And I really wanted to meet up with Brooke just to learn That's what I love about this series, is an opportunity for us to learn and start a conversation. Uh, Brooke, uh, a chartered accountant, 15 years um, uh, commercial experience, first uh, Indigenous Australian to serve as a CEO of a Christian organization, incredible uh, writer, poet, uh, contributor on the ABC uh, show Soul Search, Uh, does an amazing job, you should tune in, excellent, excellent space to hear real-life stories Uh, We met up uh, at a bar in uh, Glen Ferry, uh, Glen Ferry Road, and uh, after some preliminary uh, get-to-know-you type stuff, uh, Brooke says, "'Guy, do you have any Indigenous friends?' And I said, "'No, would you be my friend?' (laughs) (laughs) To which he smiled and said, absolutely, uh, of course. And we had a a wonderful chat. And as I was uh, leaving that, uh, I thought, gee, I would love for us to get to meet uh, Brooke ourselves, uh, hear a bit of her story and how we can learn uh, on this great topic of race relations. So City on a Hill, would you make a lot of noise and welcome up my good friend, Brooke Prentice. (laughs) Great to see you.
2: Great to be here.
1: Now, Brooke, uh, we were chatting this week, has just returned from, you said, five weeks uh, in uh, Waka Waka country, uh, where you uh, are a descendant from. Could you, could you share with us uh, a little bit about, yeah, your descendants, your people, uh, and, and maybe even a little bit about your five weeks?
2: Yeah, so um, my people, Waka Waka Nation is one of the over 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples in these lands now called Australia. Uh, It's about three hours drive northwest of Meanjin of Brisbane, uh, so for us as Aboriginal peoples, where we're from is where our family heritage comes from. And I've now got the opportunity to live on my country, uh, which is amazing. But I was born up in Yindingi country in the place now called Cairns and grew up and lived most of my life on Gubby Gubby country. And specifically Redcliffe, just north of Turrbal, Yagara Jagra country in the place now called Brisbane. Gubby Gubby country is the Sunshine Coast area of uh uh, Queensland um, and Waka Waka Nation is the neighbouring nation to Gubby Gubby Nation where I grew up. Uh, And so, for us, our identity is all of those things, where our family heritage is, where we were born, uh, where we live, where we're part of Aboriginal community. Uh, Brisbane, the Aboriginal community of Brisbane, which I've been a part of, is the second largest Aboriginal community in all of Australia, after Sydney, which is the largest Aboriginal Mm -hmm. community in all of Australia. And there's more Aboriginal people in Sydney than the whole of the Northern Territory. Uh, So, these are things that most Australians just don't realise. Yeah. And so Waka Waka country, it's the place of the Bunya pines and the native grasslands. Uh, The whiptail or pretty-faced wallabies that come into my backyard now, beautiful green tree frogs, And actually carpet snakes, which are important, uh, that's actually my totem. Uh, And our totems are about how we live sustainably. It's Mm. not that we worship the carpet snake, which a lot of Christians can say, um, but they haven't actually had a conversation with an Aboriginal person and an Aboriginal Mm. Christian leader. So uh, the carpet snake is a a protector and there to be cared for and so that there's carpet snakes forever.
1: Now, Brooke, you are you are a Christian woman. Faith's a big part of your life. Can you tell us a little bit about, yeah, how Jesus became central for you?
2: Yeah, so um, I've uh, always identified as Aboriginal. I was born Aboriginal, always knew I was Aboriginal, so that's always been a part of my life and journey. Uh, but I didn't actually become a Christian until um, the age of 21, uh, and that was... Uh, Actually in the Salvation Army. uh, And part of that story was, as Aboriginal people, we experience injustice at such a young age, which is usually our first experience of racism, which happens in the schoolyard. And uh, so I remember that time in primary school when this boy said a horrible racist Aboriginal joke to me and I had to go home and... Mm. Talk to mum about that and, I mean, sadly, it wasn't the only racist Aboriginal joke I've, I've heard in my life, um, right through my professional career and in the church as well. So these are things that are happening um, every day and racism hurts and especially when it's in the church Uh, But I hadn't seen Christians involved in justice and poverty, Uh, so grew up uh, with a single uh, mum uh, family and my mum, my sister and I, Um, so we did things pretty tough. Mum's always worked, but she's a teacher aide, one of the lowest paid jobs in Australia, Uh, but she still works really hard and always has. Uh, But, yeah, we did it pretty tough. And so I didn't see Christians involved in um, justice or uh, with poverty. Uh, And then in the Salvation Army, I heard the stories of William and Catherine Booth and went, oh, Christians are supposed to do things around justice and poverty. Mm. And then I heard the story of Jesus. And I'm like, oh, why haven't I heard this story before? And so, um, uh, you know, I share that uh, all across these lands now called Australia today. Mm. And Jesus is an important part of my life.
1: Thank you so much, Brooke. And we're so thankful for Jesus' work in your life. Um, I was thinking back this week to uh, the late 80s. Uh, when I was just a little kid, and I remember getting a coin uh, for the bicentenary, Mm. Um, and it was this big, you know, celebration where it was, you know, marking 200 years of European um, settlement, and on the coin, uh, I checked it this week, is, you know, is an image of Australia gathering around the Australian flag, and, uh, you know, since now many, many years on, looking back, recognizing how Com- complex and um, uh, difficult celebrations like that are, particularly Australia Day in, in our context. Could, could you help us shed, could you shed some light on some of the complexity around, you know, things like Australia Day yeah. and the, the Australian national flag?
2: Yes, well, interestingly, 1988, I was eight years old and uh, Redcliffe held this big combined schools bicentenary celebration and I dressed up as a piece of wheat and had to do this with my hands <laughs> in the air, uh, waving the wheat in the in the air. Um, now we know uh, that Aboriginal peoples were farming these mm. lands as well and that's only just starting to be told, but something we've always known um, and the native grains that we have. Uh, But yes, uh, when it comes to how this nation celebrates and commemorates, uh, I think we've got a a long way to go and it's where we see that Aboriginal peoples are either in or out um, in these lands now called Australia. So sometimes Australia wants us in and then other times we feel very out. And so, uh, you know, if we want to look at national holidays, um, it's a question I get asked all the time, what are my thoughts on January 26th? Uh, My Christian response is we should come together and pray. And that's the leadership of Auntie Jean Phillips, who's one of our most senior Aboriginal Christian leaders in Australia, 86 years old, um, been doing ministry for basically 70 years of her life and still doing it today. But she calls our nation to prayer on January 25th every year and we broadcast that on TV. It's called Change the Heart. And so what we're actually looking for is people's hearts to come on the journey with us. Um, Your heads are important, but it's when your head and your heart connect Mm. uh, that we'll actually start to see uh, Aboriginal peoples honoured and the realisation that this story in these lands now called Australia is much longer than 250 years. And if we only focus on 250 years, you're forgetting God's story in these lands Mm. now called Australia. Aboriginal peoples, we are part of God's story and always have been and still are today.
1: Amen. Well said. One more question. Uh, We're doing this series. Jesus in a political age and, you know, for those of us who are in the news will know that uh, there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about the voice to parliament. I think it was 2017 uh, that 250 representatives um, from indigenous tribes got together, put together the Uluru Statement, which has, a, you know, three I think key objectives in terms of justice and peace and um, one of those being the voice to parliament. Uh, could you shed some light on that particular topic, uh, what it is and, and, and what they're hoping to achieve?
2: Yeah, so uh, I always bring an action. I think that's important when you're involved uh, in justice and Jesus work. Uh, And so your action is to go and read the 2017 Uluru Statement from the Heart. Actually read Mm. those words. Read them out loud so that they actually affect your heart. At the end, it says, In 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. It's five years since those beautiful words were put together. Read the poeticness of them. And uh, those words are actually inviting you uh, on the journey with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people into a movement of the Australian people. So it's actually an opportunity for us to come together through a voice to parliament, uh, treaty and treaties, internationally recognised treaty and treaties, and a national truth-telling commission. Um, Similar to what happened after apartheid in South Africa. They had their Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Canada has had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We haven't had that here in Australia on a national scale. And so many Australians don't know the true history of these lands now called Australia. And so uh, please do read those words, uh, it's actually about coming together, it's not about division. We have never caused the division as Aboriginal peoples, and so, so often the media rhetoric is we're creating division, but our culture uh, teaches us a few things. It teaches us who the creator is, um, 54% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are Christian. Mm. Uh, so we are your Christian brothers and sisters, who the creator is, how to care for creation and how to live in right relationship. Mm. That's, that's what our cultures teach us. But for me, there are three biblical mandates as Amen. well. Live in right relationship, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the appeal is to love your Aboriginal neighbors as yourselves. And that means to come on the journey with us, to listen, to learn and to love.
1: Awesome. Brooke, we're going to get here from uh, Brooke uh, a little bit later as well in terms of Q and A. No doubt you'll have a bunch of uh, questions. We'd love to engage with those questions. Uh, I'm about to jump into God's Word. Brooke, could you pray for us as we do that?
2: Mm. Creator Spirit, Lord God, Papa Jesus. Uh, We just thank you for this opportunity to focus on you, Jesus. We come to you at the foot of the cross. It is there that we can share our stories together, we can honour one another, and it's there that we get the true sense of what it is to be a reconciled peoples, to you, but to each other, and especially here in these lands now called Australia. I thank you for this incredible movement that is City on a Hill. Uh, I pray that uh, you do uh, help to open people's minds, their eyes, their ears, but especially their hearts. As I call you, Jesus, the great unsettler. I know that it is uh, when you unsettle me in heart, mind and spirit that I'm on the right path and I'm on the path with you. So may City on a Hill and may Guy as he brings uh, your word. Uh, help to tune into their unsettledness and through that unsettledness find your great love that uh, you are the great transformer, comforter and healer. And so we pray for healing in these lands now called Australia and the world. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together and thank Brooke Prentice. Thank you, Jess. Well, uh, thank you, Brooke. Uh, So wonderful uh, to connect and uh, share and enter into this uh, conversation uh, that we have together. Uh, it is important that we now reflect on God's word uh, together as his people. I appreciate that some might say that as a white Australian, my experience on this topic could be blinded uh, by my own uh, privilege. And I want to say that while that is in play, I've come to realize that I want to use whatever privilege I have for good. Uh, And I do think it is important for uh, non-Indigenous Australians to to speak and to not remain in silence. And uh, the best thing I offer today is God's Word. God's Word is going to be our friend uh, as we reflect on what is a very important topic. So I have three uh, brief points uh, that I want to share with us today before we jump into Q&A. First... It's important that we acknowledge that the gospel of Jesus calls for more than racial diversity. The gospel of Jesus calls for more than racial diversity. Uh, Melbourne, of course, as you know, is a rich tapestry of color and diversity. Uh, Almost a third of all people living in Melbourne were born overseas. Uh, More than a quarter speak a language other than English at home. And, of course, this diversity is reflected uh, in our church community as well. By show of hands, who grew up in Australia? Okay, quite a few of us. Who grew up overseas? Who was born overseas? Who has a parent who was born overseas? More hands again. Why don't you yell out? Where was where that from? Malaysia? Ireland? Morocco? <laughs> Philippines? Okay, that was just a jumble. <laughs> Brazil. All right. So here we are with this beautifully rich diverse community and we celebrate that as God's people but it's important to say that racial diversity is not the same as racial reconciliation you can have diversity in sport you can have diversity in schools you could even have diversity in parliament but diversity doesn't always equal reconciliation what is reconciliation well, reconciliation is more than pro- proximity. It's more than common interests. Reconciliation is a coming together of an unbreakable bond marked by respect, love, and deep friendship. There are many parts of the Bible we could go here, uh, we could look at the creation story. And marvel at God in his goodness and grace who formed us, male and female, in his image and likeness. That no matter a person's gender, age or race, all people have been signed and sealed with the signature of God. That already declares to us this inherent value, respect, John Calvin says that we should have a certain honor when we're in the presence of another human being because they carry the signature of God. Of course, as Christians, we see this um, all-encompassing love of God, not only in the story of creation, but most vividly in the cross. Colossians 1, 2 says this. Through Jesus, God reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of Christ. So by nature and choice, we are separated from God. And yet in his love, God came for us in the person of Jesus to live on our behalf and to die our death. And through his blood, jesus not only paid the debt that we owed for our sin but removed any barrier and hostility that existed between us and god meaning that we are now one with him Uh, and it's this reconciliation that we have with god that is to now shape the reconciliation we are to share with one another Uh, Listen into to Paul's words when he's talking to non-Jewish Gentiles about their standing. At one point, they were separated from God, speaking about their standing before God and their relationship with the people of Israel. He says this, Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, And strangers to the covenants of providence, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is what? Our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus died for the Jewish man. Jesus died for the Gentile man. And through his death, through his blood, he not only tears down the dividing wall of hostility. What does he do? He forms a new humanity. A new people what is the point here the point is that the deep the deepest racial reconciliation must begin with a surrendering to christ and the joyful recognition that in him we are now all one in him we are all now one Paul says elsewhere for as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor three free there is no male and female for you are all what what's that word one in Christ Jesus now is Paul saying that there is no longer any cultural distinction no This is a wonderful room of color and diversity. But what Paul is saying is that in Jesus, God has now formed a new person, a new humanity. In Jesus, we are much more than a social club or a group of like-minded people. We are family, a family that was birthed through the blood of Jesus A family where we now call one another brother and sister. A family where we are now invited to pursue friendship. To open up our homes. To open up our hearts. To understand one another. To support one another. To celebrate the unique distinctives of our heritage. To to see the best in the cultural diversity that we have. Why? Because in God we are one. And as Christians, therefore, the call is to know Jesus and know each other. This leads to the second point for today. To pursue reconciliation, we must be truthful when it comes to our past and our present. So, in 2013, Brownlow medalist Adam Goods was mocked by a 13-year-old Girl in a match against Collingwood, and the girl called Adam an ape. And on account of her racial taunt, Goods uh, informs the staff on the ground and she is removed. And this leads to this public outcry uh, against Goods. Uh, uh, racial taunts flooding social media memes are flooding social media and there's this spark within footy culture that is starting to boo Adam ever so often as he plays the game and this hits a climactic moment a year after this event where he's playing on the SCG and uh, uh, the, the, the opposing crowd is booing him and, and, and he kicks a goal and, and he does a, um, uh, which is like a war-type dance uh, to, towards the opposing team. He Like a spear-type kite dance like this. And he says that the inspiration for that, this is actually the week after Indigenous round, the inspiration for that came from the under-16s team, uh, the boomerang team. And he thought it was like a sign of honour to them and his culture that he does this. Well, this ignited rage in the football world. Um... You know, some people, you know, recognising his history and, and, and valuing him, but so many more uh, condemning him uh, and, and, and uh, you know, again, social media going up in flames. And there was so much commentary at this moment, so much commentary going on. And, and the boos continued. Um, it didn't just happen on this game. Actually, if you know the story of Adam Goods, who've seen the documentary, you'll see that everywhere he played from that point on, he was booed. Right now, I've played footy my whole life, Uh, well, except for the last 20 years. But i played footy. (laughs) That's how quick does life go? I'm not 20 anymore. All right. It's not uncommon for some booing to happen. Right, we boo the umpires, that's expected. Someone shoots a goal at a clutch game, uh, sometimes a little booing can happen. But this was different. Every time he rolled onto the field, the crowd swirled in boos. And like I said, lots of different social commentary. Perhaps the most powerful, though, that I have heard came from Stan Grant. Uh, veteran journalist, G. Uh, Mann, spoke at the IQ2 racism debate. Listen in. I can't speak for what lay in the hearts of the people who booed Adam Goods. But I can tell you what we heard when we heard those boos. We heard a sound that was very familiar to us. We heard a howl. We heard a howl of humiliation that echoes across two centuries of disposition, injustice, suffering and survival. We heard the howl of the Australian dream and it said to us again, you are not welcome. The Australian dream. We sing of it and we recite it in verse. The Australians all, let us rejoice for we are young and free. And he continues, I love a sunburned country, a land of sweeping plains of rugged mountain ranges. It reminds me that my people were killed on those planes. We were shot on those planes. Disease ravaged us on those planes. The Australian dream. The Australian dream is rooted in racism. It is the very foundation of the dream. It is there at the birth of the nation. It is there in terra nullius, an empty land, a land for the taking 60,000 years of occupation, a people who made their first seafaring journey in the history of mankind, a people of law, a people of law, a people of music and art and dance and politics. None of it mattered because our rights were extinguished because we were not here according to British law. My people were rounded up and put on missions from where if you escaped, you were hunted down, you were roped and tied and dragged back, and it happened here. We have our heroes Albert Namajara painted the souls, soul of this nation. Vincent Langari put his hand out for Gough Whitlam to pour the sand of his country through his fingers and say, this is my country. Cathy Freeman lit the torch of the Olympic Games. But every time we are lured into the light, we are mugged by the darkness of this country's history. Of course, racism is killing the Australian dream. It is self-evident that it is killing the Australian dream. But we are better than that. And one day, I want to stand here and be able to say as proudly and sing as loudly as anyone else in this room, Australians, all let us rejoice. That's a compelling and uncomfortable speech. And that is what truth-telling does. It sheds light... On darkness, It penetrates mind and heart. And we who are in Christ should welcome truth. Because our Lord and Saviour Jesus promised, truth shall set you free. Now I have known in my own soul how easy it is to look at the history of this nation with a sense of distance and indifference. I I, I can find it in myself at times to see that what happened was bad but say I was not there. My hands are clean. But this is not how the people of God should speak. The people of God have always understood their life and their story and their sin in collective and historical terms. Think for a moment of Nehemiah. When broken by the exile of his own people when gripped by sin he doesn't point the finger he takes responsibility and he leads in repentance Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. As far as we know, Nehemiah lived an honest, decent life. And yet before God, he does not distance himself from his people In an act of love, Nehemiah steps in on behalf of the people and their forefathers, and he takes responsibility. He takes responsibility for their disobedience, their adultery. He takes responsibility for their violence, their deceit. He takes responsibility for their sin. Now, I'm aware that um, being white doesn't make us all bad, in the same way that being black doesn't make you all good. But as uh, a non-Indigenous Australian, I have to acknowledge that I am living on stolen land. This land wasn't given, it was stolen. And we also need to acknowledge the uncomfortable truth that uh, the prosperity and power that we enjoy today, is owing, in part, to sin and abuse. And so to our brothers and sisters who have suffered and are still suffering, to those who've felt forgotten, shut out, to those who've felt the sting of injustice, on the account of theft and lies and butchery, we say sorry. I know I'm not the first to say that, And I hope I won't be the last. But we are sorry. And we repent of deceit. We repent of greed. We repent of violence and the blood that is on our hands and the hands of our forefathers and foremothers. We repent of the sin of spiritual blindness failing to see what God sees. We repent of our pride and the many broken promises. We repent that we have not loved God with our whole heart, mind, soul and strength. And we repent that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And we repent knowing The fullness of God's amazing grace and that we are made, we are all made for so much more. This leads to third and final point. The the resurrection of Jesus compels us now to work together for justice and hope. Um, Some years ago, the Festival of Ideas uh, in Sydney uh, was running a live event at the Opera House and towards the end of the... um, The evening, there's a panel there. The the host asked, which dangerous idea idea has the greatest potential to change the world for good? Um, Dan Savage, American author, uh, activist, uh, atheist, said, population control. There's too many people on the planet. I'm pro-choice, but sometimes in my darker moments, I believe I'm anti-choice. I think abortion should be mandatory for 30 years. That was his dangerous idea which he thought would be for good jermaine greer i think third wave feminist said freedom Uh, if we want true morality we need to give people freedom then the panelist turns to uh peter hitchens brother of the late christopher hitchens peter himself a christian what is the most dangerous idea the greatest potential to change the world for the better Peter, live and off the cuff, says the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the son of God and rose from the dead. A little puzzled by that unexpected response, the host says, why dangerous? To which Mr. Hitchens replies, because it alters the whole of human behavior. And all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a design place in which there is justice and hope. Therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work toward that hope. We have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and to work toward that hope. Now, what might that look like? What might that entail when it comes to race relations? What does it look like to discover justice, to work towards hope? Well, at the very least, it means that Christians can't be silent in the face of prejudice and racism. The Bible says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Now, part of the challenge here is recognizing that prejudice and racism comes in many forms. We can all imagine very overt definitions, but sometimes the more sinister danger is in the subtle. It's the everyday. It's a posturing of the heart. It's a loose word, an inappropriate joke. What are the times? where we've harboured our own sense of superiority? What are the times where we might have kept another at arm's length? I think it's questions like this that do require careful consideration when it comes to celebrations like Australia Day. Um, I, you know, I, I thank you, Brooke, for, for what you shared, and I felt that so, such a helpful posturing um, I think the Change the Heart uh, event is a wonderful way for uh, believers to recognize the story, to listen, to learn, and indeed to pray for a nation built by justice and hope. Uh, As God's people, we also must give further thought and prayer to the very complex questions about land. My good friend, Dr. Peter Adam, says this, Europeans assume that theft is wrong, and our legal codes support that view. We do not assume that every theft reflects the will of God. Why should we think that the theft of land is any different? He adds, Christian believers around Australia would be horrified at the thought of murdering their neighbours in order to steal their property, and would be highly offended if we suggested that they might do such things. But we have benefited because if others have done these actions for us and we continue to live off the proceeds of those crimes and sins. What is a Christian response to this injustice? Well, think for a moment of Zacchaeus, tax collector, living off frauding and thieving of others. He can count as Jesus, doesn't he? Jesus has lunch with him. And it's out of that friendship that Zacchaeus hears the gospel. And what does the gospel do in him? It's not just information, it's transformation. What happens? Zacchaeus stands up and says, look, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I'll pay it fourfold. In thinking through our theft we are met with many uncomfortable thoughts about our own responsibility and moral obligation. On one hand, it's incredibly complex and potentially very costly. But surely it is our duty as the people of God to lean into that complexity, embrace that cost rather than sit in silence. I know a small step that we can take as a community is perhaps providing a welcome to country when we gather. Uh, We've historically never done that. Uh, Maybe that could be an important, early, simple step for us to consider. Uh, Perhaps we could also uh, consider creative ways to use the resources we have to fuel ministry that encourages our Indigenous brothers and sisters Uh, Here's a shot uh, from the grassroots gathering, which I know Brooke is uh, involved in. Uh, It's a national event that brings together emerging Indigenous Christian leaders. You know, as Brooke has already shared with us today, there is such a Christian movement within Indigenous leaders. And so if we're caring about a next generation of Christian leaders, we care about the gospel going out, we should be supporting and getting behind. Maybe this is an opportunity for us. ...to use our resources and support. Then, of course, is the power of prayer. Why not in your weekly... Scratch that. ...daily prayers... (laughs) ...devote some time to praying... ...for your indigenous brothers and sisters. Uh, Take a moment to ask God to strengthen their hand... ...to open doors for the gospel... uh, ...that they may be a light as they are, and pray for our political conversations that are happening right now. Uh, The voice to Parliament is going to be in the headlines for some time, and if you've been tracking the headlines, you'll know that there is a range of different views. Uh, Martin Niles, who heads up the Australian Christian Lobby, was very clear this week in his statement that he was not supportive, uh, and he Gave a whole host of reasons for that. Uh, Jacinta Price herself, an Indigenous woman, also uh, spoke, you know, as a as a different view on that perspective. Right now, I'm not here to tell you which way to vote or who you should or anything like that. All of which to say that we need a lot of wisdom, we need a lot of listening, and we need a lot of prayer. Um, The Uluru statement, uh, which uh, Brooke and I talked about earlier, and I love that encouragement to read it. Uh, As I read it, I exactly agree with you on the, the poetry and the depth of meaning. You've got to read it and understand it. And the aspirations here, I think we can pray. We want a culture of truth. We want a community of justice. We want to be a people of hope. And, and while uh, the political process is at play and very important, and as Christians we should be part of that conversation, let us not forget the importance of the personal dimension. Uh, one, of the, one of the insights I appreciated by Brooke when we caught up and, um, was the way in which Brooke frames reconciliation as friendship. Reconciliation as friendship. Reconciliation, of course, is a biblical word. But sometimes in our culture, we can hear that word at something a little bit distant. Um, in contrast, friendship speaks of a journey. It speaks of ongoing conversation and connection. Uh, it's about learning from one another, cheering one another on. Speaking on this very topic, Brooks said, 90% of Australians do not know an, an Aboriginal person. If you don't know us, how can reconciliation happen? Our nation needs healing. But that healing can't happen from one side. It requires friendship. The Aboriginal hand of friendship is extended to you. The church is the perfect context for friendship to take place, as the Bible calls us to friendship, and 73% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are Christian. It's time for the church to lead the way in much-needed reconciliation. Some years ago... I had the opportunity to fly to Newcastle uh, to spend the day and shoot an interview with uh, Auntie Donna Meen. Auntie Donna is an incredible human being, and uh, if you want to read her story, um, uh, I believe the title of the book is No Secret. Um, I encourage you to, to get that book and read her beautiful writing and story. And she's an remarkable, remarkable human being. Uh, with so much joy. And she shares with me about when she was five years old, um, going with her siblings on a a train, which she thought was to be a joyride, a family experience. And yet, uh, in reality, uh, there was a welfare worker there. And the welfare worker had come to take her away from her mother. Auntie Donna was then brought to uh, Newcastle, where she was introduced to a new family. And she shares of the the pain in that. She shares a feeling like a fish out of war and suffering uh, injustice and racial taunts every day of her life. Uh, And she says to me, you know, looking back, I really don't know how I made it through. Uh, Yet in the midst of all of this, Auntie Donna uh, can see the hand of God's grace, uh, she rejoices in her parents who were believers and she she testifies of their beautiful devotion to, to god and and hymns that they would listen to every day and their love for Jesus and their love for her and, 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 and though she, she can she can look back on on nights of tears and, and deep anger and frustration and uncertainty, she knows. That Jesus was her comfort in all of that. That Jesus met her in a very, very powerful way. Uh, and it was this life of Jesus, this love of Jesus in her life that has transformed her and overflowing in the relationships that she now shares. She, Donna tells me that in the later years of her life, she was actually got to be reunited with her birth mother and then went on to lead her to the Lord. Amazing. And she served in countless ways as a chaplain in hospitals and serving with youth she is a light she is a city on a hill and this is our call to learn from gospel warriors (laughs) to build meaningful friendships that signal a new and better way and to do this knowing that we're just at the cusp of something far greater. I love that vision. we'll finish with this, that Jesus gives to John. Looking into the age that is to come, looking into what we await, friends. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb.
0: Looking forward to being able to answer some questions. Guy, that was just a really helpful setup for us. And, Brooke, you've already served us so well. Uh, So thank you. So we're going to jump in to some of these questions and continue learning and having our eyes set above. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for your ministry, especially with Common Grace. I mean that, and I'm reading that. Um, How can the church atone for its colonial past and practically reconcile with First Nations people moving forward?
2: Uh, that's a, a great question and I think that word mm. atone uh, the colonial past, it's also to remember that the past affects our present mm. and if we don't do something, it's going to continue to affect our future. Mm. Um, uh, what I just shared there, I have not heard any pastor in this country uh, do that and that's mm. what we need more of. Um, mm. Christian leaders who will stand up uh, to say these words Dr Peter Adam has been a long term friend to Auntie Jean Phillips and now to myself uh, and his words were so important so to have them come back to life through Guy this morning and mm. um, repentance and repentance isn't just about saying sorry and for me like the political action is this national truth-telling commission but what will our role as christians be Mm. and to allow that aboriginal christian leadership you know we heard the beautiful words um sung this morning from little things big things grow it's not just about paul kelly kev carmody wrote those words power and privilege do not Mm. move a people Mm. Jesus can move a people, Amen. and so what will our role as Christians be? And mm. if you're not going to be led by Aboriginal Christian leaders who we are part of God's story, as I already said, mm. then we're not ready for that shared future together. And that's what I believe Jesus has been waiting for for 250 years.
0: Mm. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, jump. It's still true. Can I, can I maybe just press in on, like, something that you mentioned? Like, just thinking, I think that's really helpful for us on, like, a grand scheme. Like, thinking through us as a church, having just heard some teaching, having heard from you, are there things that you can think of for us individually as we go into our weeks of how that can look practically applied?
2: Yeah, so I think Guy uh, just gave a whole bunch of actions, uh, but individually... Have this conversation with three other people this week. Tell them that okay. um, your church uh, did a series mm. that included race relations and specifically the relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mm. peoples in these lands now called Australia. Bring God into that. Uh, start the conversation by, do you know... Um, so the 73% is a little bit of an old statistic. Sure. But uh, do you know that 54% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mm. people are Christian? Um, That's amazing and through all that injustice, 250 years of injustice, Aboriginal people are still holding out their hand in friendship. Uh, For you to start those conversations, I can't reach every Australian. I wish I could. If we are to ever have this capital R reconciliation being Mm. the relationship between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Indigenous peoples of all cultures, uh, then we have to have conversation. And I need you to start those conversations. Uh, And not to be armed with all the facts and the figures, but to bring it back to love and Mm. to relationship. Uh, and that that includes this story of injustice. The truth will set us free Mm -hmm. uh, and that's all of us.
0: Yeah, that's a helpful thing to think through as like moving on forward from this. It's to be able to continue that voice and use that in that conversation so that's a helpful next step for us
2: and sorry also the voices of aboriginal people so yes. uh you know guys model that for all of you today yeah. get a quote from one of us through common grace we shared lots of quotes of aboriginal christian leaders there's yeah. so much that i've written you can just google my name and uh bring that into your conversations as well so that you're sharing our leadership our yep. aboriginal christian leadership as well honey yep. Donna me yeah awesome thank you
0: uh can we do an acknowledgement of country at the start of our services each week? <laughs> I, should, I should probably take this one to yeah, buy. Well,
1: Absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, with, with Brooke's help, I'd love to know how we can do that and do that appropriately. Mm. I, I think it'd be great, as I said in my sermon, uh, a great first step yeah. uh, for us. And as an added bonus, it means everyone should be here on time. So, <laughs>
0: <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, not wrong. Yeah, great. So there you go. <laughs> Whoever asked. We'll
1: Thank see you. you. We'll see you um, there. <laughs> That's right. No, I think
0: it's a great idea. <laughs> no, it is. That's good. Uh, last question jumping in. If we are going to recognize that we live on stolen lands and it's unlikely that we will be dispossessed of it, how might we practically pay the rent? Whew.
2: Uh, I can take that one. Uh, So, I mean, the declaration of living on stolen lands and the Mm. benefiting from that. uh, You know, we're not asking for the land back. If you do have land, there are Christians and other Australians who are giving land back, um, Mm. which is amazing. And, you know, in Brisbane, we don't even have a space. We've got Musgrave Park where we hold all our celebrations. It's like a council park and, Mm. you know, that would just be one ...area that we could have, you know, uh, that's actually ours. Um, But uh, practically paying the rent, um, you know, I would love to see City on a Hill... Aunty Jean Phillips has called every church in Australia to adopt an Aboriginal person in ministry. Mm. That would be a great way of paying the rent. Our ministries, there's injustice there as well, Mm. underfunded, defunded, under-resourced, but we do what God has called us to do in our ministries. Mm. Uh, So you could adopt an Aboriginal Christian leader in ministry, Mm. um, supporting the grass tree gathering, uh, those sorts of things. So that's a really good way of uh, also supporting Christian ministry um, in this country. Mm.
0: That's a great idea. <laughs> That's really helpful. Um, I would love to pray for you uh, and pray for us, and then we'll continue on. Thank you. Father, we, we need your help. Uh, we need your help to seek deep relationship, to seek true reconciliation and Lord, I pray that you would use us as your children to reach out, that you would use us to see our brothers and sisters across this land and have eyes to truly understand experience, to truly understand need. Um, and Lord, may you help us to be bold enough to do what we can to bridge the gap. Lord, we see our aboriginal brothers and sisters uh, we are so grateful for brooke and auntie donna and the way that you're at work through them but even more importantly the way that you're at work in them lord that you are changing and shaping them and then using them uh, for your glory um, and lord for the good of your church and so father i lift them up to you i pray your protection over them um, I pray that you would help us to really understand what we have learnt today and to be able to go forward and use it uh, for the good of your church and for the good of this country. Uh, so, Lord, we, we come to you recognising that you are the great provider and you are the great healer, um, and we need both of those things in this. And so, Lord, we, we're grateful um, and we pray for your help. And that's in Jesus' name. Amen.